Welcome to Watchmen on the Wall, a daily outreach of Southwest Radio Ministries and SWRC.com. Today is Election Day in the United States. Dr. Larry Spargimino and Marvin McIlvaney will be looking at headlines from the end times. And Larry Stam will share insight on how you and I can effectively share our faith with others. Our final conference of 2022 is 11 days away. November 19th and 20th at Sunrise Bible Church in Las Vegas. Speakers include Pastor Billy Crone, Pastor Tom Hughes, Larry Stam, Pastor Greg Patton, and Micah Van Hus. Make plans now to join us at Sunrise Bible Church in Las Vegas, November 19th and 20th. Registration is open. Visit swrc.com and click on Events or simply call 1-800-652-1144. And let us know you're coming to the second annual Las Vegas Prophecy Conference, November 19th and 20th. Now, with the latest headlines from the end times, here's our host, Dr. Larry Spargimino and Marvin McIlvaney. Well, Marvin, I guess the big news today would have to be the midterm elections. If you haven't voted yet today, be sure to get out there and change history. So much is riding on these elections, and so much is at stake. The United States is not like other countries. We don't have regime changes. The military does not suddenly take over and issue new laws, at least not yet. That's right, Pastor Leary. Millions of people have questioned the last election. And just by doubting the outcome, people have had to pay a price. The New York Times reports that 370 current Republican candidates for office, which will be decided today, have voiced their doubts and outright refused to believe the outcome of the last election. The New York Times says, quote, Together they represent a growing consensus in the Republican Party and are a potential threat to American democracy. So, because they doubt the outcome of the last election, they are a threat to American democracy? You know, I still can't believe Biden beat Trump, but I am no threat to anyone. I'm a threat to the devil, but that's about it. These candidates who doubt include seats for the U.S. House and Senate and the state offices of governor, secretary of state, and attorney general. Many candidates with clear shots to victory and some without a chance. These 370 candidates are united by at least one issue. They have all expressed doubt about the legitimacy of the 2020 election. The New York Times says they are the new normal of the Republican Party. Have you noticed when you doubt what the left is doing and saying, you become the problem? Like if you don't believe a man can become a woman, you are a problem. The New York Times investigation found that about 70% of Republicans running for Congress had questioned the election of President Biden. Of those 70%, nearly two-thirds are favored to win their races according to the Cook Political Report, which provides race ratings for Congress and governor. For those of you who don't remember, they said Biden had 7 million more votes than Mr. Trump. Well, maybe the only good thing to come out of the whole debacle is that everybody is now paying attention to the votes. How they're counted, how they are received, what machine they were recorded on, everything. People are watching really closely now, and that's a good thing. I just want to add that, you know, it's funny to me, if you doubt the outcome of an election, people can call you, and please forgive me, but this really happened, people can call you, uh, let's say, excrement. 
That is disgusting, but that's what a former police officer called Republican gubernatorial nominee Carrie Lake of Arizona on national TV. And this is brought to you by none other than, guess what, MSNBC. It happened on Nicole Wallace's program. So apparently, if the left likes you, you can say things like this, there's no problem. But if you question anything they like, well, then you can get in trouble, Like then they call you a piece of uh, excrement. I can tell you what I call Carrie Lake. I call her a patriot. Lake is a former local TV news anchor who many believe may one day have a shot at the presidency. She is currently in a tight race with Arizona Democrat Secretary of State Katie Hobbs. Lake is leading in the race currently, according to the polls. I think she should be leading in the polls. She didn't pull any punches at a rally where she said that she would order Arizona State Police to arrest President Biden's FBI or DOJ agents if they tried to arrest concerned parents as terrorists. Now, she was referring to the threat that involved Attorney General Merrick Garland and a memo that reportedly referred to parents as terrorists because they spoke up at school board meetings against critical race theory and transgender issues. Carrie Lake warned Joe Biden that if any of the DOJ came there, will be a price to pay for targeting parents if she becomes governor. Here's a clip of what she said. And I don't believe parents are terrorists at all. And I'll tell you what, if I were governor right now and Joe Biden even thought he was going to send his FBI or DOJ in to start coming after our parents, they would be met at the airport with the state police and arrested for going after our rights. We finally, as as parents, rise up and say, no, we're not going to take this anymore, and they call us terrorists? That's unbelievable. We're in an upside-down world, and we need to right it. Boy, isn't that the truth, Pastor Larry? We live in an upside-down world, and we need to right it. Talk about upside-down, Pastor Larry. WorldNet Daily reports that Washington, D.C., is in the process of rewriting their criminal codes. We're told that one of the items on the agenda is to legalize public urination. I'm sorry, it's not to legalize it the way they say it, and I want to be politically correct here, is to say the decriminalization of certain public nuisances, such as urinating in public or noise violations, the report said. I remember they passed a similar ordinance in Denver a couple of years ago. Again. They didn't legalize it. This is how they report it. Quote, Denver City Council voted unanimously to lessen the punishment for people convicted of certain low-level crimes, like lying in a public right-of-way, urinating in public, and panhandling. City leaders and immigrant rights advocates argued the changes will protect Denver's immigrant community from facing unintended consequences. Many times it becomes a deportable offense said Mark Silverstein, legal director for the ACLU of Colorado. So they actually changed the law to accommodate illegals. Well, speaking of Washington, D.C., changing their criminal codes, there is one thing they just added. The Washington, D.C. City Council recently passed a bill granting foreign nationals, including illegal aliens, the right to vote in the district's local elections. The bill that passed by a vote of 12 to 1 on October 18 allows aliens who have been residents in D.C. for 30 days to vote in local elections. The bill has not yet been sent to Mayor Muriel Bowser, and its fate remains uncertain. However, this is what we used to call the camel getting his nose in the tent. 
What this means is that once the camel gets his nose in the tent, the next thing you know, the whole camel is in the tent. And so it is with voting. The left will let immigrants vote locally, and then eventually they will say, see, they vote, no problem. We should let them vote nationally. What a dangerous downhill trend. I have a report here from a group called the Federation for American Immigration Reform, better known as FAIR. It states, some 2.7 million migrants, those who illegally entered our borders in 2022, is bringing the total under President Biden to a whopping 5.5 million. One thing is obvious. These record-breaking numbers are a consequence of the open borders policy established by Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas and the person who appointed him, President Joe Biden. But wait, there's more. The report also shows record streams of extracontinental aliens, also known as OTM, that is, other than Mexican, through the Darien Gap. The Darien Gap is the small part of the jungle that connects Colombia to Panama. So you see, Marvin, this signals even bigger increases from across the globe. For the first time in history, more Venezuelans, Cubans, and Nicaraguans were encountered at the southern border during 2022 than migrants from El Salvador, Guatemala, and Honduras, according to the Migration Policy Institute. The year also saw significant new arrivals of Brazilians, Ecuadorians, Haitians, and from countries farther away, including Ukraine, India, and Turkey. I have a report here that says more than 100,000 New York City public school students experienced homelessness during the 2021-2022 school year. This is from a local nonprofit group, Advocates for Children of New York. Of these 104,000 students, more than 29,000 spent time living in city shelters. 69,000 were temporarily sharing the housing of others, and nearly 5,500 were unsheltered, living in cars, parks, or abandoned buildings, states the report. Not surprisingly, these conditions led to high rates of chronic absenteeism and poor academic outcomes for students who are homeless. City Council member Rita Joseph said, Just a single student in temporary housing is one too many. The increase of the student population in temporary housing is extremely concerning, close quotes. Well, from the sound of it, you would think that this is a new problem that city officials have not had time to respond to, but no. 2021-2022 marked the seventh consecutive year that the number of homeless students in New York City public schools topped 100,000. It's gratifying to know that city officials remain extremely concerned that, for the past seven years, more than 100,000 school kids have experienced homelessness. But the thing that really bakes my cake is how fast the city moved to find suitable living accommodations for a wave of illegal migrants. As the flood of illegal migrants pouring across the southern border continues, the city has spared no effort or expense to get them situated. Mayor Eric Adams recently arranged to house newly arriving migrants at the four-star row NYC hotel in Times Square, where room rates run about $400 a night. Mayor Adams also explored the possibility of setting them up aboard a luxury Norwegian cruise line ship that is currently docked in Staten Island, but could not come to a deal with the company. City Hall is now in talks with four other companies, including... Carnival Cruise Line and an Estonian company. I think, boy, 
Maybe I need to be on that group. We'll, we'll have a cruise to the Caribbean, free of charge. No, you, the taxpayers, will pay for it. What about the 104,000 kids right now in the city without a place to live? It sounds like the city's attitude is that, well, if they've been waiting seven years, what's another year or two going to matter? Obviously, the city is focused on settling their share of the record numbers of illegal migrants the Biden administration is bringing into the country. It's being reported that the U.S. is moving advanced nuclear weapons to NATO bases. With tensions escalating between Russia and NATO, the U.S. has accelerated the process of updating its nuclear arsenal in the European theater. NATO allies were informed that the U.S. would be delivering upgraded B-61 airdrop gravity bombs to their NATO facilities, replacing older weapons in the process. These new B-61 bombs are meant to be low- to medium-yield weapons, meant for quick tactical use with the aircraft being used as the weapons platform. The report even went so far as to call the warhead one of the most versatile weapons in the U.S. Pentagon spokesman Brigadier General Patrick Ryder explained the reasoning for the move. While we are not going to discuss details of our nuclear arsenal, modernization of the U.S. B-61 nuclear weapons has been underway for years and plans to safely and responsibly swap out older weapons for the upgraded B-61-12 versions. It is in no way linked to current events in Ukraine and was not sped up in any way, Ryder said. There are fears that this nuclear buildup could act as an escalation as Russia continues to drill its nuclear contingent in the event of a nuclear attack. The Kremlin's drills have tested their ballistic and cruise missile capabilities, backing up Vladimir Putin's warnings that Russia will use, quote, all means available to protect their interests. Marvin, I really don't think people realize how close we are to all-out war with Russia. Vlad the Mad is having health issues and seemingly saying anything that comes into his mind. He's talked about exploding a nuke over the Black Sea to let everyone know he's serious. God help us. It's hard to remember now, but the day after votes were cast in the 2020 presidential election, one theme stood out, voter turnout. Every state in the nation saw higher turnout in 2020 than 2016, according to an analysis from the Pew Research Center. Overall, there were more than 158 million votes cast, according to the Federal Election Commission, nearly 22 million more than just four years prior. That's incredible. Turnout will likely play a big role in the 2022 midterms as voters determine what political party will have control of the U.S. House of Representatives and the Senate in January 2023. As a person who studies the intersection of religion and politics, I am interested in which groups may have a strong impact on the balance of power. There are two key political groups that are growing and overlooked, atheists and agnostics. In 2008, almost 8% of the entire U.S. population claimed to be atheist or agnostic, according to an analysis of data from the Cooperative Election Study, an annual survey coordinated by a team at Harvard University. Atheists believe that there is no higher power in the universe. Agnostics contend that a higher power may exist, but it's impossible to know for certain. By 2021, that group had risen to just about 12%. Atheists and agnostics are often left-leaning in their political persuasion, 
and their rapid growth in the American religious landscape is proving to be having more effect on the Democratic Party than the GOP. The percentage of Americans who identify as atheists or agnostics is growing, but much faster among Democrats than Republicans. Just 4% of people who align with the Republican Party say that they are atheist or agnostic. That same figure was 3% when Barack Obama won the White House in 2008. However, according to analysis of the Cooperative Election Study, one in five Democrats today are atheists or agnostic, an increase of eight percentage points from 2008. The uh, Cooperative Election Study asked respondents if they have engaged in a number of political activities over the past 12 months. Secular Americans' political engagement really comes into focus when their behavior is compared with that of another group, one that is often considered very politically active, white evangelicals. Over the past 40 years, the religious right has won many victories by organizing a loose coalition of theologically and politically conservative faith groups to vote. Overturning the Roe v. Wade decision, for example, which the Supreme Court did in June 2022, was a long-cherished goal of the movement, resulting in several states banning abortion in nearly all circumstances. When it comes to political protest, there's no doubt that secular Americans are more politically engaged. In 2020, 18% of atheists and 16% of agnostics said that they had gone to a march or a rally about a political issue, versus just 5% of white evangelicals. When it comes to donations, the gap is even wider. In 2020, half of all atheists made a political donation, along with 43% of agnostics. In comparison, only about a quarter of white evangelicals made a political donation to a candidate or party. Though atheists and agnostics are still a relatively small portion of the population, there's strong evidence that they will make their voices heard during the 2022 midterms and help campaigns with funding and support at every stage, not just on Election Day. Whether Republicans can counter this level of engagement from specific religious groups will be a key, a key question of the upcoming midterms. That's why it's so important, friends, to get out and vote today. Well, friends, you've heard a lot of negative stuff, and it certainly is negative. When church members vote for candidates who think unrestricted abortion is health care, and when national leaders work hard to hinder, harm, and stop the work of God, we are in bad shape. But there's something else going on in our country. God is working. People are responding. And there's a great number of believers who have developed razor-keen discernment, and they love for the truth. If you're in that group, I praise God for you. Keep working. Keep praying and share the good news of Jesus Christ. For even more headlines from the end times, be sure and subscribe to the Prophecy in the News magazine. Articles by your favorite prophecy teachers, as well as classics by J.R. Church, Noah Hutchings, and many more. In these dark days, there is hope. Subscribe today. Prophecy in the News magazine is available in print and digital form. Each subscription includes access to FaithNet TV, our on-demand streaming service. Subscribe to the Prophecy in the News magazine today when you call 1-800-652-1144 or subscribe at our website, swrc.com. 
Holidays are coming up, which means a lot of opportunity to share the love of Christ with family and friends. Larry Stam stops by now to share more insight into how you and I can effectively, without fear, share our faith with others. Shalom, friends. Larry Stam here. So glad you are joining us as we continue our series, Serving in His Court, Biblical Principles for Personal Evangelism from the Heart of a Coach. We are, in this teaching series, continuing to unpack these foundational principles for evangelism. One, evangelism is a process. Two, evangelism is a heart issue. And three, evangelism is a team thing. Last time we began talking about the fact that evangelism is a heart issue. We began exploring God's heart for the lost. Yes, God's heart breaks for the lost. We mentioned in Matthew 9, verses 35 through 39, that when Jesus saw the multitudes, he had compassion on them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Those of us who know the Lord Jesus, he is the great shepherd of the sheep, and we are eternally grateful for our great shepherd, Jesus Christ. Other scriptures that communicate God's heart for the lost are these. We are very familiar with John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. In 2 Peter 3.9, the Bible says that God desires that none should perish, but that all would come to repentance. In fact, in the Old Testament, in the book of Ezekiel, The Bible says about the heart of God that he does not delight even in the death of the wicked. It's an incredible statement. Central to God's redemptive plan is his heart's desire. What is God's heart's desire for the lost? Remember, Jesus said in Luke 19.10, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which were lost. The Son of Man has come to to seek and to save the lost. The lost refers to you and I before we were saved. The lost refers to people today walking without hope, walking without Christ. Guess what? They're in your sphere of influence and they're in my sphere of influence. You may know some personally and so do I. The parable of the lost sheep in Luke 15 illustrates well God's heart for the lost. I'm going to turn there and just give you an idea of the joy that occurs when one lost person comes to faith in Jesus. In the parable of the lost coin and in the parable of the lost sheep in Luke 15, once the lost coin is found, once the lost sheep is found, in Luke 15 verse 10, In regards to the lost coin, a picture of salvation of the one. Jesus says, Likewise, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. And earlier in Luke 15, 7, regarding the salvation of one, Jesus says, I say unto you that likewise, joy in heaven over one sinner that repenteth more than over 99 just persons which need no repentance. God's heart breaks for the lost. God's heart longs that people come to his saving knowledge of Jesus. And it's a beautiful thing when one enters the kingdom. 
I've mentioned this before, but I want to encourage you in this. We can't witness to everybody, but we can witness to somebody, and that somebody is precious to God. We cannot witness to everybody, but we can witness to somebody, and that somebody, that one, that precious one, is precious to God. How about your heart and my heart? Our hearts need to be aligned with God's heart in all ways, including in the area of how we see the lost and how we serve the lost. 1 Peter 3, verse 15, the word of God says, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is within you with meekness and fear or with gentleness and respect. So we need to sanctify the Lord God in our hearts. Set apart Christ as Lord in our hearts. That's a starting place. The Apostle Paul also is a prime example of one whose heart beat for the lost. In Romans 10.1, he wrote, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. And in Romans 9.13, Paul expressed the intensity of his heartbeat for the salvation of his Jewish people when he wrote, I tell the truth in Christ, I am not lying my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh. Can you feel it? Can you feel the intensity of his heart for the lost? He says, I've got great sorrow and grief in my heart. I wish that I myself were accursed from Christ, from Messiah, that my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh, would come to faith in him. The last thing I want to tell you about the heart issue is this. We must have the heart to do evangelism because the heart to will always precede the how to. Oftentimes as Christians, we have a stumbling block and it's I don't know how to do evangelism. I don't know what to do. And I say in response to that objection, don't worry about the how to. Don't worry about the what to. Focus on the will to. Focus on the heart to. Here's the principle I want to leave you with. The heart to do evangelism always precedes the how to do evangelism. Did you get that? Think about that. Understand it. Internalize it. I'll say it again. The heart to do evangelism must always precede the how to do evangelism. In other words, we have to have the will to before God will show us the how to. Remember as we close Isaiah's response in Isaiah 6.8. Remember God says, who's going to go for us? Who shall we send? And Isaiah said, here am I, Lord, send me. If we reflect a heart to God that desires to be a witness, to be an active, intentional witness, friends, God's going to meet you at your need. God's going to meet me at my point of need. If we first demonstrate the heart to go, God will show us the how. God will show us the what. And until next time, friends, the Lord richly bless you and keep you. Shalom. More details on effective evangelism are available in Larry Stamm's book, Serving in His Court. Order your copy today by calling 1-800-652-1144. 
That's 1-800-652-1144. And remember, when you call or go online, be sure and subscribe to the Prophecy in the News magazine. Tomorrow we continue our new series, Why Explore Bible Prophecy, with teacher Steve Butler. Be sure to tune in on your favorite radio station by downloading our SWRC mobile app or by subscribing to our daily Watchman on the Wall podcast. Watchman on the Wall is a production of Southwest Radio Ministries and is supported by faithful listeners like you. Visit swrc.com.